I see in-house and predictability and that, that slow boat to, I don't know, nowhere or retirement ahead of me. And I know that like my family will be taken care of and going out on my own, which is my my dream and my my goal and where I think we have the most potential to to do better. There's a lot of uncertainty there. So I guess what I'm really challenged with is introducing uncertainty into the lives of my family for what feels like my own professional gain. Welcome to the Future Podcast, a show that explores the interesting overlap between design, marketing, and business. I'm Greg Gunn. Are you familiar with the term golden handcuffs? It's a phrase that refers to financial incentives given to employees to make them stick around. Because when you have everything you need, why would you ever want to leave? In this episode, we talk with someone who's been wearing their golden handcuffs for a while and is thinking about making a big career move. But he's conflicted. His job is stable, it pays well, and that's good for his family. For all intents and purposes, he's doing just fine. But is fine enough, or without any room to grow in his current position, is he just riding a slow boat to nowhere? The conversation you're about to hear is from 2018. Now, the world feels like a very different place, but our guest's dilemma remains the same. Are golden handcuffs worth it? Well, let's do the math and find out. Please enjoy our conversation with illustrator, graphic designer, and future pro group member, Anthony Banks. Let's just jump right into it. Um, Before I forget, for people who don't know who you are, can you just introduce yourself really quickly? Uh, Sure. Uh... Hi, uh, I'm uh, Anthony Banks. I am an illustrator and graphic designer in Nebraska. I have a beautiful wife, two amazing kids. Oh, how old are they? Oh, uh, they are five and nine. Oh, ooh, five and ten. Five and, five ten, and ten, just recently. Boy and girl? Two boys. Two boys. Two boys. Yeah. Okay, woo. <laughs> I know what that's like. Okay, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just jump into what's on your mind today? All right. So, so how about this? I've been uh, in and out of the outhouse or the in-house uh, as a graphic designer for a long time. And as mm-hmm. uh, I got married and as we started having kids, the being in-house was just became very attractive. You know, there's consistency and the, the demands on your time between nine and five. It's pretty predictable, which really makes it really easy to like have a good relationship at home and to raise kids and do all these things. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I aspire to more. I want to uh, run my own business. I want to go out on my own. And where I'm running into a conflict in my head is I see in-house and predictability and that, that, that slow boat to, I don't know, nowhere or retirement ahead of me. And I, and mm-hmm. I know that like my, my family will be taken care of, or at least that's my perception. And going out on my own, which is my my dream and my my goal and where I think we have the most potential to to do better. And for me, career wise, to do better, there is it's there's a lot of uncertainty there. 
So I guess what I'm really challenged with is introducing uncertainty into the lives of my family for what feels like my own professional gain, even though I can still see like intellectually that at the end of that tunnel, I believe in myself and I think we'll get to where I think we can be. But like how much am I going to disrupt their lives to get there? And am I willing to do that? Okay. So when you say you have an in-house job, you mean you're like, you're on staff, you have a payroll, right? I mean, you're on payroll and you have insurance and all that kind of stuff? All that stuff. Yeah, all the the, yeah. the, the trappings of a in-house position. Like timesheets and all that stuff? Uh, fortunately, no, I'm salary. Um, okay, good. Well, even, even salaried employees do timesheets because they need to know how to build the clients and that kind of stuff or track you for accountability. Well, so well, That's good. So yeah. you don't have to do timesheets. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. So you're, you're working a, a staff job and you're thinking, okay, am, is this just me slowly dying and I'm, I'm getting paid and there's a comfort and security and knowing that there's a regular paycheck and I'm just stressed over finding work all the time, but then there's no real fast way to get ahead, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always, you know, move out to move up. That's kind of what we do uh, in our industry, but then you just end up at another job kind of just biding your time until you think you're ready for a, uh, a promotion or a pay raise or something. And then you just move somewhere else. And it's, it's just like a slow, predictable path. And it's not very appealing when I think ahead, like 10, 20 years. Yeah. And how long have you had this job? I've been at this job uh, about three and a half years, which is about okay. the the average stint that I'll I'll be at any one place. I see. So you're coming up on that, and you're getting the itching. Oh yeah. Again. Oh. Okay. Well, let me ask you a couple of other questions. Are there a lot of job opportunities in Nebraska? There are. Um, I live uh, in the capital, which is Lincoln, and I work in the the biggest city, which is Omaha. Uh, that's where uh, Berkshire Hathaway is based out of. There's a lot. There's a lot of industry here. There's a lot more design and advertising and things like that than I would have ever imagined when I first moved here. I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm originally from uh, Southern California, mm-hmm. and you have this perception of the Midwest as just farms and cows and uh, all that kind of stuff. But I've been shocked at how much design there is here. Okay, so there's plenty. It's a healthy job market for a person with creative services or creative skills, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. Do you feel that you have to stay for a certain reason? That I need to stay in my position? Mm-hmm. I don't feel any compulsion to stay. I can say, uh, in all honesty, that this has been the best job, company, culture that I've experienced in gosh, like what, 20 years I've been now doing this stuff. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's rare, you know, so it's the idea of, of leaving it for really anything else, especially another company that's kind of not appealing because I know what the alternative could be like and that this is rare. So there's that part of it that's, that's teetering me there. And they, I mean, they, they pay me well, I have great perks. Um, so it's all, is that, uh, the golden handcuffs a little Mm. bit. So what would your motivation to quit and find another job be? Would there be one? Right now, I'm I'm kind of at the at the top of what I can do there. 
uh, when we, when I first came on, uh, we were going through a rebrand, so it was really guiding the the company through the the rebrand um, and all their their visual assets and helping them develop more because it's in a it's in a niche industry where there's not a lot of stock assets you kind of have to go out and produce all of your own stuff so it's been like three years of building up their catalog <clears throat> helping them establish their style um, we've done a lot of great work and addressed a lot of the, the the things that were missing when i first got there and now i feel that we're plateauing in terms of their need and maybe that's where the itch is coming from too the the challenge is gone a little bit and i like to be challenged and i would probably leave I'm thinking about leaving because I need that next challenge. Okay. So let me just tell you what I heard. Mm. You have a full-time job, great company culture. They take good care of you. It's predictable hours and you're already at the highest position that you can be there. They, they pay you well, yet you're kind of feeling unsettled and you, you want something different, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You sound like a lot of creatives. <laughs> so I was like, what's on the other side of that fence? I wonder. Yep. I wonder. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can lead you down a really dark path. Mm. Now, is it soul sucking work for you to go into the office? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say it's soul sucking at all. I would say that those projects that are challenging and that really like spark the fire in me, that they're they're getting fewer and farther between. So I think sometimes we're fortunate to work at a place where that fire, that spark, the constant need for change and growth and learning is there. And in most jobs, though, um, people are looking for that predictability and that slow growth and just growing into a position and not having to stretch too much. You may be the odd individual that is looking to do something weird all the time because that's scary for a lot of people. Because they don't know, like, what's going on now? Is there job security? Will I be replaced? Can I learn these skills? And I'm getting too old, etc. So I, I think that expecting the company that you work for to provide all these things to you may be unrealistic. That you're going to trade one situation for another and the other might be worse than the one that you have now. I don't know. And I think that's part of your question. But let me ask you this question then. Why is it that you don't find your own fulfillment in the time that you have off of work versus the time that you're in work? Well, I, I do uh, to a large extent. I, mm-hmm. um, I moonlight. I've been taking on freelance work for probably 10 years now consistently. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that probably keeps me in any one place as long as I am just because I am able to satisfy my my curiosity and to push myself and to go into different uh, segments or to try different techniques or just honestly to to develop my business to business interpersonal skills and all the things that aren't just design. I, I find that just really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Okay, so could it? Do you see in your future that you could have a stable job so that you can provide for your wife and and two boys and do some freelance work on the side that pays you in in bigger bigger chunks for for less time and that those projects can also be very challenging for you on a creative level 
Could that work for you? Is that the combination? Or are you looking to say, you know what, is it time for me to go full business and just stop working staff somewhere? That's a that's a really good question, because I know that occasionally I'll fall into the trap of all or nothing. It's either all the way this way or all the way that way. But finding that yeah. that middle ground, um, it's it's not my, my first the first place where my mind goes. So, yeah, that's that's a really interesting idea to to find something that satisfies all, like my my needs and the needs of my family, but also uh, build something on the side that is more substantial and that does challenge me more, uh, but without sacrificing that uh, little bit of consistency. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I know what we need to do. I want you now to ask me a question. I have plenty of context now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, any question in particular? No. What, you're, what are you <clears throat> thinking about now based on the things that we just talked about? Okay. Because I, I need a jumping in point, yeah, right? Because sure, that's sure. where the story is going to begin. Yeah. All right. So part of my challenge is, is that I have a full-time position. I freelance on the side. Um, and I find a lot of fulfillment there, but it's also very time consuming. But I also have a family and I want to be part of their life. So how do I how do I balance these three things that are all demanding a lot of my time and attention that I honestly want to spend a lot of time doing when I feel like I have to sacrifice some of one to, to benefit another. Right. And the decision is still unclear to you right now in terms of like, what do you give up for what you want to get? Right. Right. OK. So I have this theory. I got this theory and I've been thinking about this, that in, in a way we are all the same, no matter what sex, race or how much money you have or where you live in the world. And that we all have the same amount of currency. And the currency is time. We have 24 hours every single day to work towards our dreams. Some of us give away that currency to things that don't really matter and amount to much. Those are usually the easiest things to give up. And once we have an accounting of how we spend our time, then we can say, look, those things are not productive. They're not helping me to grow. They're not moving me towards my career or strengthening my relationships. I need to get rid of those. So probably what we need to do is sit down and look at how you're spending your time every single day. Now, on the other side is, what do you want to buy with your time? And I think you shared with me before that um, you always, you don't want to do what what happened to you and your brother, I think, mm -hmm. or sister. Is it brother? My brother, uh-huh. You and your brother were like left by your parents. And so you have that feeling of abandonment. And now as a responsible parent, you never want to do anything remotely close to that, right? Like you may have overcorrected. I don't know, but I suspect that you might. And a lot of people do do that. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. And so you feel uh, out of um, your moral compass tells you you have to be there for your wife and kids and that anything other than that is is some form of abandonment. And then you also have to think about your role as a provider for your family. Does your wife work? Yes, she does. What does she do? She is an accountant. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> okay. And does she work from home or does she work at an office somewhere? Well, fortunately, she gets to work from home four days a week. So she only has to go into the office one. Mm. Even better. Yeah. Okay. This is exciting for me already. <laughs> but as does she, do, does she help you with your books? 
yes. Um, okay. Just uh, yeah, just just recently I started reaching out to her because I needed help, and who better than an accountant to do all that stuff? Right. And is she okay doing it? Uh, yes. No. She's really been looking for ways to help me, and and up until now, oh, fantastic. I, yeah, I've been really struggling to figure out what I could hand oh. off. Okay. I, I see. Okay, this is fantastic because some people can work together with their spouse and some people cannot. I personally find it to be very challenging, but you guys have complementary skill sets, so you're not stepping on it over each other or on each other's toes, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Okay, this is good. This is very good. All right. Now, I, I, I think you might have it in you, but I'm not sure. This risk tolerance part, and we've kind of tiptoed around it a little bit in that entrepreneurs need to be very risk tolerant. We need to be able to make bold moves, make calculated risk and realize to get what we want, we have to give up a lot of stuff. And it's going to require that because otherwise everybody would run a business and everybody would be their own boss. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do I help you? Like, what are you spending most of your time doing or thinking about that? You say, well, if I do that, then this is what it's going to cost me. Help me understand a little bit of the psychology of what's going on in your head. Okay. Well, I think I've shared with you before that that I want to have it all. That's my goal, right? Of I want I want to I want to uh, be able to provide for my family. Um, I want to uh, be healthy. My health is really important to me. So that's getting enough sleep, eating right, uh, physical activity, um, spending a quality time with my family, so that. I'm a part of their lives, a meaningful part of their lives. And uh, and right now I feel like, and maybe that's just because I'm not looking at it too closely, I feel like I'm being fairly efficient with my time. I'm cutting out a lot of things that I shouldn't be doing, which is not to say that I don't indulge every once in a while, but it does feel more like a treat than a habit when I do that. Okay. And when you say provide for your family, mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, let's see. Um, I well, there's there's the basics, right? There's you know shelter, food, and, and all that. Um, insurance. Uh, make right. sure that take care of them when they're they're not well. Um, when they need clothes, when they get clothes. Um, okay. We, we don't but, tr- but if we boil that down, it comes down to money, right? It's essentially, yeah. Yeah, that, it's like a, a check or a cash solves all those problems. It does. It does. Okay, so when when I asked, I should have been more specific. How much money do you need to make in order to feel like yes, I'm going to be a good provider for my family? Just like like a round number, annual number, or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, we'll say a hundred k. Okay. And is there a certain point where you can make enough money where you're you can say to your wife, you don't need to work anymore? That would be around 150. Okay. Is that something that you guys entertain? Uh, yes. Actually, my okay. wife would love to, to uh, spend more time at home with the boys. Okay. So that automatically sounds like you're solving two problems with one stone. Make more money. Your wife doesn't have to work. So she has a healthier mindset and all that kind of stuff. And she can actually spend more time with the boys, mm-hmm. which is taking care of two of the three problems now or two of the three obligations, right? Yep. Okay, so your goal should be, in theory then, to make at least $150,000 a year. That sounds like a good goal to me. Yeah. Now, doing creative work that you do, 
Does that sound like it's attainable for you? Not at the rate that I'm charging or the amount of time that I have been able to devote to it with my side projects. Okay. If we were to do the thing that we we do inside the pro group, we would take your 150 and divide it by 10, right? Mm-hmm. And that would give us $15,000 a month is what you need to make. Mm-hmm. What's the average size of job that you do as a freelancer or an independent business owner? On average, it's around 2000 Okay. So on an average job of 2000 it's going to take you eight jobs to make that per month. Yikes. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> it is. What's the reasonable number of jobs that you can do in a month if that's all you were doing? Like three to four. Okay. I like three. The fewer jobs, the more attention you can give each one. Mm -hmm. The better job you'll do, the less stress you'll be. So that means that you need to do three jobs at 5K. Okay? Mm -hmm. Just doing basic math here. Right. What kind of work within the realm of things that you could do would pay you $5,000 per job? Uh, when a, like a fairly large illustration project. So that could be illustrating a book or uh, illustrating a mural. Okay. Illustrating a book sounds like a lot of work. It is. Yeah. That would, that would probably be closer to like one thing that I could do in a month. Right. So you'd have to charge 15 K to do that. Mm -hmm. Cause how many illustrations would be in a book? It depends. Usually, Tons, right? it, well, sometimes it's like the, however many chapters there are. Right. There's an illustration and probably a cover. Mm -hmm. So, like between 15 and 20. Yeah. That sounds about right to me. So, in essence, then you're doing each illustration for a thousand bucks. No, not a thousand. Less than that. What am I talking about? For 5K, that would be a third of that. So, like $300. No. What's wrong with me? Yeah, 300. <laughs> 300. Because 300 times 26,000. Mm -hmm. That would get you to your 5K a month. Right. So you could do it if you charge like that. That's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. <laughs> and not, so a lot of we, not a lot of money. You're right, right. So then your rate per illustration for a book can't be 300 then. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you normally charge for something like that? About 300. <laughs> oh, okay. So we've come to the realization of something here then. So if you do it in volume, you can do it. But here's one of the problems with what you do is that when, when somebody hires me to do graphic design work, I can hire anybody to do the work. But when somebody hires you to do illustration work, it kind of almost has to be you. Yep. I mean, you can have assistants do layout work, cleanup work, or coloring and stuff, like production work. But for the most part, it has to be driven by you. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what you do can't be delegated to somebody else. So I'm recognizing a small challenge there. Okay. The same thing with murals and other kinds of illustrations, right? Sure. Is that typically what you do is illustration work? Uh, so... I, I get a lot of design work, mm -hmm. but the the work that I try to draw, I try to get in more is has like an illustrative component to it. 
And mm -hmm. the more illustration work that I put out there or design work I do that has a strong illustration component, the more I'm being approached for, for illustration type work. So I'm really trying to move in that direction. I and, see. Yeah. Weed myself off of a lot of design. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. All right. The way I'm looking at it like this is because you have access to clients all over the country and then the world. And I assume it's lower cost of living in Nebraska. It must be, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So just the other day, somebody reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, I got an identity system for a startup. And I was thinking, there's no way I'm going to do this because I don't have any money. I've always cautioned people, like, don't work with startups because they're broke. Mm -hmm. And I, and then I just told this person, well, I can do your ID work, but... My prices started at hundred thousand dollars. Thinking, okay, that's enough to get rid of somebody. Mm -hmm. And she responds back, "Can you send me a proposal?" So I just confirmed with her again. I said, "So you have a hundred thousand dollars to spend?" And she said, "Yes." I said, "Well, I don't do proposals. I'm trying to get rid of her." <laughs> and I said, "I'll talk to you first, and then we'll see how it goes and see if we're a good fit for each other." And she goes, "Fantastic. When can we talk?" So she's hot to trot. We're ready to go. So if I look at your goal here of getting to $150,000, you could do this one identity system, and that's really all it is, and be two-thirds of the way there. I think what we need to do is we need to start reframing the kinds of services you sell and how you see yourself so that you're in that mental space of attracting these kinds of jobs. Mm. And, and I, I can draw, but I can't draw like you. And I'm not putting myself out ever as an illustrator. So when you say you're trying to wean yourself off of graphic design, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's necessarily a good nor strategic move. I, I know why you're doing it, because you want to be this hybrid person, right? But my whole thing is, I just want to solve big problems. Mm -hmm. That's what I think about. Like, you can think about it literally, figuratively, whatever, because... Big problems means there's money behind it. And if I'm going to exchange my time and attention for something, I'd rather exchange it for something big versus something small. Sure. So I'm always looking for a big problem to solve. Now, since you're both a graphic designer and an illustrator, you have more tools in your, in your palette, if you will, or your toolbox that you can go and solve a big problem. So what has been the fundamental challenge for you to find higher paying work? Well, up until recently, like a lot of people, the bulk of my work has been referral. So the people that I've been working for at a certain price point find other people that are kind of like in their price range and then refer them to me. So I'm a right. bit in a bit of a vicious cycle. Uh-huh. Okay. One of your own design. Yes. Okay. The problem with referrals is it's completely passive. That means... You're not actively taking control of your destiny. And that's one of the traits of an entrepreneur. You want to write how your story begins and ends, right? Mm -hmm. So you've been part of the pro group for some time now. What's been holding you back on working on your inbound marketing, your content marketing, and getting your name out there? What's been that challenge? Well, it's, it's interesting you should ask. So at the beginning of the year, we all have an exercise to uh, map out the year and our goals yep. and what we're going to do mm -hmm. for that. And mm -hmm. one of my first goals for Q1 was to um, 
do my my own branding, to find my positioning, to create, and then off of that to create content to support that. And honestly, I got stuck at positioning because at that time I wasn't sure how I was going to differentiate myself. Anything that I I could think of sounded like it was something that like a hundred other people were doing. And so it, it then made it difficult to move on to those next steps because if I didn't know what, what my position was, then what kind of content could I even produce? And it's only recently, um, probably within the, the last couple months that I have discovered what I want my niche to be and how I want to um, position myself. And mm-hmm. so so now it, it's almost like the 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 clouds have cleared and I can see everything and now it's I have uh, direction uh, so I've, it's just been taking me that long to figure out what I would even do as far as uh, creating like products or um, inbound marketing materials or anything like that okay uh, there's a bunch of things I want to ask you about this so just kind of keeping this super conversational right mm-hmm. what is it that you see yourself doing and then how did that happen for you? So there's this thing I do, and, and you've seen it. It's the like the visual note taking uh, mm-hmm. thing where I because I, I, I learn a lot, and um, I picked up this technique where I translate the things that I read or I hear into these one page uh, visual stories that break down the big points of what I need to take away because it helps me remember it's easy to reference later on. It's super easy to share visually on things like Instagram and, but i never knew how to uh, market it. It was like super niche and narrow and it was more like a hobby than anything. But as I started to talk to people and people became aware of it, they would come to me with ideas of like, wow, that would be really great if you applied it for this or like for this type of um, illustration or for that kind of advertisement or for this kind of product. And it really took other people telling me how it could be used for me to see its potential. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem that most creatives have. We have all these skills and interests and we we apply them to a whole bunch of different things, but because we're so close to it that we just don't know if it's even special or, or worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And then somebody from the outside can clearly see, wow, hey, you do something that only a few people do. Maybe you should consider doing more of that. And so then you go down your path. Some of us arrive at through just standing in the metaphorical forest by ourselves and closing our eyes and then kind of figuring it out. Some of us need a little help from a, a kind stranger to say, hey, try that thing, man. That's pretty cool. OK, so you found your thing now, you think? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I think your problem or your challenge is relatively easy to solve. So there's something inside of you that still hasn't figured it out. Because for me, from the outside, I'm like, dude, just do X, Y, and Z, and you're done. This could be a three-minute conversation as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it really has because I, I can connect the dots really fast, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, what is it that's inside of you that is holding you back from thinking those thoughts? Because you're a smart guy. Is there something deeper here that we have to kind of surface and... and overcome or or no i i guess there's just some part of me that that had a hard time seeing what i was doing as as special Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until 
you know, one person told me and then two people and then three and then just again and again and again, just people telling me like, you should do that. That's amazing. I want to see more of that before it started to dawn on me that that maybe I, I was doing something special. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back with more from Anthony. Welcome back to our conversation with Anthony Banks. Okay, so you said a couple of things that are really interesting to me, okay? Mm-hmm. So, okay, I don't want to get into like armchair psych- psychotherapist <laughs> here. So we'll, 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 we'll try to avoid that for a second here. Sure. Let's see, because it keeps popping up. Here's what I'm thinking. You like to learn. If I'm you and I'm going to get into a prescriptive place right now, mm-hmm. okay, here's what I would do with my skills. I would make videos. I would voice over the videos and I would draw on those whiteboards and do stop motion animation or something that looks like it. And what I would do is I would explain complex concepts or novel ideas to people. So it would begin something like this. You have an overhead shot of a whiteboard and a dry erase marker and it's white. And you'd say, hi, my name is Anthony Banks. I'm a graphic designer and illustrator living out of Nebraska, I help to make the complex understandable. And that's your intro. And Mm. when you say that, you're sketching out your name, like Anthony Banks, whatever, you know. And a lot of what I do, people consider or call it sketch note taking. Mm -hmm. Okay, something like that. And then you're going to say maybe to camera now. So on today's episode, I want to talk about how to make the perfect souffle or whatever. I don't know what that is. And then as you talk, we just see your hands drawing things and then erase things. And then the the image comes to life. There's a company that does this in the UK. I forget what what they're called, but they do an amazing job at this. Hmm. And we've actually done things like this for commercials that want this dry erase board animation style. We faked it. What we did is we shot a hand holding a marker at odd positions. Like, and it took a bunch of photos, right? Yeah. It, like it's wiggling around, drawing and things like that. Then we gave that to an animator. And then we had somebody else draw a bunch of illustrations kind of on whiteboard. And then the animator went in and erased the illustration and put the hand on top of it, wiggled it around. So it looked like it was stop motion animation mm. and just using a series of masks to do that. And that job was over a hundred thousand dollars for a 30 second video. Okay. Yeah. So in, in, in my world, I just think of possibilities and, and what we can do. So in doing this, you have a great hobby. You're honing your skill. You're producing content to help other people learn. You're also branding yourself, you're doing content marketing, and you're creating a market for yourself. That's the hybrid. Like I said, I think I could solve your problems in three minutes, and I think that was about three minutes of talking. <laughs> so what you would do is you'd create five, ten of these videos, and nothing would happen. But as you know, kind of being in Nebraska, it's like you plant the seed, you till the soil, you water, you know, all that kind of stuff. And eventually you have this crop and then you can reap the harvest. But that's really what I think you should be doing. And that same format could be used for a lot of different things. You could do this as a mural. 
I would just use a bunch of permanent markers and draw on the wall and then film that as stop motion animation. And then you would shoot that at really high resolution, like say 8K still mm-hmm. photos. And then you can crop into it and you can pan around. So every once in a while you go to the wide shot and you cut in, you can find a, like a delightful musical track and mm. just explain things. So it would require you to sit down and write. So I've said this many times before and most recently in a live stream where I say wealth is your ability to convert knowledge and information or knowledge and experience into capital and equity. So you, when you only draw, you're only converting a small part of you, small piece of your knowledge. Mm-hmm. And when you do a podcast, you're only converting a small part. And when you're reading and learning, small part. When, when you're taking sketch notes, that's a small part. What you need to do is bring all those things together. Because if I'm going to trade something that I have, I'd like to trade all of it so that I get a bigger reward. Mm. And you have the production experience. You have the equipment. You have the knowledge to do this. And you have the skill. You have all the necessary ingredients to make an amazing souffle. But if you're making pancakes from a premix batter, you're obviously leaving a lot of skills behind. Sure. So maybe that's something that you you might consider doing. Does that sound appealing to you? That sounds great. Because this could open the door for a lot of other things. Like, oh my God, we want you to make a video. You're like, fantastic. It's $100,000. It's $60,000. It doesn't even matter what the number is because all we know is we just need to make five k a month so that your wife doesn't have to work, so that you can be a good provider. And chances are you can do this from home or from anywhere and spend more time with your family to mm-hmm. boot. If you had a $15,000 a month, you could chill for two months and not even sweat it. That sounds pretty great. You need to become known to the world for doing something. This ain't a bad thing to do. So later on, people are seeking you out to do this at conferences live, which would be fun. Mm-hmm. I think you and I talked about this before, right? Mm-hmm. People do this. I don't think those people get paid a lot of money because they're not that good. But if you did it for Ted, I think you would be paid really well. Mm. And could you see that? Like, Because you love to learn, right? I do. Imagine if they invited you as a paid artist to 10 TED Talks. Like not TEDx, like TED Talks, because they're kind of expensive. Mm -hmm. So not only do you get to do your craft, you get to expose yourself to people who can afford their craft. And you get to learn while you're like getting paid. So I think what we need to do is we need to just be a lot clearer with our goals and where we want to be in life. And not to be complacent with the the cards you were handed in life you got some work more work begets the same kind of work you know Mm -hmm. and that's how this thing works but instead of saying it's a vicious cycle and it's true we have to take ownership like well what is my role in that well i haven't done much so i shouldn't expect more right absolutely so i believe you can do all these things even for right now as you have a full-time job, just keep doing that. That's fine. You have all this time on the weekend. You have all this time after hours. You just got to get clarity and focus. You got to turn away some of these low-paying jobs and start doing this. And you have to say to your family, to your two boys, boys, dad's going to work on something for a little bit. I need your support. Here's the goal. Are we all bought in? Yes, dad. We support you. It is a team effort. So I'll give you an example. My wife does not work. Luckily, she retired about two years after we started the company. 
I have two boys, 14 and 12, so a little bit older than yours. And they know, like right now I'm doing this podcast with you. They know to stay away from this room. They know not to bust in here with any kind of trivial things that can't wait. And then my wife is probably busy downstairs preparing whatever she needs to prepare. So as soon as I'm done with the podcast, I have a hot meal to eat. I'm ready to go. So we're all working together. It's not that the kids can only be kids and dad has to be dad and mom has to be a mom. I look at it like this and I've given people this advice before is that we have to kind of align around the person who's going to be the most likely to achieve what the family needs. So if you're going to be the provider and your wife agrees and she wants to do that and she wants to support you in your endeavor so that you can then in turn support the family, then we need to start to align that. And the kids can also see like, wow, okay, they're mature enough now. They can they can understand that. Dad needs to do this. So mom doesn't have to work. So mom can spend more time with us. So, And then dad could be more with us. But there, you have to give up something temporarily in the short term to have a much bigger gain in the long term. Hmm. You have to. It's the story of the ant, right? The ant versus the grasshopper. During the summer, the grasshopper runs around. It, it, it nibbles here. It plays. It sings songs. The ant is busy doing what? Preparing for winter. Always preparing for winter. So the ant has some very virtuous characteristics. Always preparing. So when winter comes, the grasshopper dies. Is hungry. Is starving. Is cold. The ant is eating spending time with its family, knowing that it has done the work. Mm. So it sacrificed the playing, the singing, the running around for the preparation for winter. And that's a mindset change. So Jim Rohn talks about this in his book, The Seven Principles for Wealth and Happiness. He said that as we moved away from this rural kind of community and lifestyle, we, we moved out of the idea of seasons we become disconnected and we forget now we have no seasons. It's all the same season. It's always harvest, harvest, or it's always winter, winter, but it's not, it's not so. What are your thoughts? That makes a lot of sense. Like uh, you don't have to be the superhero without sidekicks. I, I just watched the Incredibles again, the Incredibles too. Oh yeah. And that's a family of superheroes. And I like the sequel because it kind of upset the whole patriarchal model where the dad is the hero. He has to actually be Mr. Mom and he has to deal with that. He has to put his ego aside and he has to be there to support his wife, who is the most likely candidate now to help the family. And and, yeah. and all the kids help, you know, everybody helps. Dad does not have to carry the weight of the entire family unassisted. And it's like a secret. Yeah. Because you haven't shared shared the the plan, you haven't shared the burden, you haven't shared the responsibility, even in story form. Yeah, that's I, I I admit that's that is a habit that I fall into. Just the assumption that it's kind of all on you to to achieve these things, and because uh, you don't want to burden anyone else or inconvenience them, and and just forget that that they that they have something to contribute and that they want to contribute if you would let them yeah now imagine your kids are adorable i don't know oh they're the cutest i don't know anything right they're the cutest so they probably ask you some crazy questions all the time mm -hmm. as all kids do because they have curious minds you could even have an episode where 
one of your boys asked you, Dad, so why is the sky blue? And so you just film him asking you that question. And then you explain it via sketchnote. You go do the research, you figure it out. Like how many parents would love to share that with their kids? That's wholesome educational content done in a way that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Like I recently wrote an article, not an article, a post on Facebook about this common idea that educators have, this challenge. And they say, you know, we can't compete with entertainment. Kids have such short attention spans. And we have to compete against blockbuster films and video games and all this other kind of stuff. And on the surface, it seems like a reasonable complaint. But again, it comes back to this thing. It's like we have to take control of our own destiny. And we have to take responsibility for that. And I said during this panel discussion, I said, you know, I know it's not going to be popular, but I'm going to say this. Why shouldn't education have to compete with entertainment? I think by acknowledging that we've given up and that's a cop out. That's an easy excuse for us to say that, well, we don't have to try it harder. The video game makers have. The film producers have. And so why haven't we? So I think there's this great opportunity out there for people who can be great entertainers and educators. And the field is wide open, my friend. I love it. Use all the power of storytelling, multimedia, sound, animation, graphics, voiceover. Bring all that stuff together. I remember reading this somewhere. I can't can't remember where, but in terms of commercials, somebody famous who made commercials said, nowhere before have so many talented people have done so much for so little. Like so much talent is gathered to make a 30 second piece of garbage (laughs) that nobody will care about. It's true. If that same talent were used and the same resources, the attention were used to do something more important than to advertise to people something they don't need, how much better would the world be? Maybe that's part of your calling, man. And the side benefit is you build your brand and you start to command attention and you can trade on that attention or you can you can now be positioned as a person who is worth five, six, seven thousand dollars a pop. You need to make your fifteen thousand bucks, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And you can do that. I think I messed up before because I circled this 5,000 you have to make 15k a month so you need to make 45k if you want to take three months off now 15k <laughs> even so better I just want to clarify that right yep you need to do that at least my math is good there okay what else do you want to talk about and one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you on the show is because I want to talk to to people who have great questions because I'm only as good as the question and since you and I kind of know each other now for quite some time through the pro group and some side conversations and chats, that I feel like you can ask more insightful questions or more challenging things so mm-hmm. that that would then force me to look inward and say, here it is. So perhaps this series is really about us having conversations where you, you, you're going to push me and push me out of my comfort zone to find something because we don't have to go through the getting to know each other phase Mm -hmm. and you can ask me things and then I will be forced to explain them. Now, one of the things that I've been saying to people is that when you look at a problem, break them down into bite-sized pieces 
It makes the problem something that you can solve. Sometimes we refer to this as scaffolding or chunking, breaking things into small bite-sized chunks. And what people do when they ask me questions is they're trying to figure out what my chunks are. And that's a problem for me because I'm 23 plus years into my career and I don't, I'm not trying to say this in, in some kind of self-aggrandizing way, but I'm so far in my career that for some people, it's unattainable. So what I have to do is go back in time and break this 23-year career into like five-year chunks and then break those five-year chunks into smaller chunks mm-hmm. so that I'm not putting the burden on them to try to figure it out. So I need to do a better job of explaining this. This is one of the things I got from coming back from the Philippines is that from where they're sitting, man, they're just trying to get fast internet. Mm-hmm. They're literally have, they have to go to work or the library to, to log into our YouTube channel, to download the video onto a hard drive so they go home and watch it. So that's a whole nother perspective that I haven't considered. Because for me, living in America, in a place where fast internet's not an issue, I could just type in something and search for it and have the answer in minutes. It's obviously not something that they can do. So what I need to do is go back, break things into smaller pieces so that this path, if you want to achieve what I achieved, instead of it being one giant leap, it can be broken into like a hundred bite-sized pieces. Mm -hmm. So even if you're at the bottom of that journey, you can jump in and you can figure your way out. No, I could totally understand that. Yeah, because you start to like it starts to get fuzzy, right? Because it, it just you adopt certain ways of thinking or you, certain practices, and after a while, they just become uh, habitual. But you don't remember when you started to form that habit. Yeah. So perhaps in structuring our future conversations, what I want you to do is help me do that. Okay, that's what I'm hoping that you'll be able to do. It's like okay, so Chris, I know this about you, blah blah. blah. How is it you're able to do that? Or what do you think about this? Hmm. And frame it that way. Then I'll give you the answer. And then by me doing it, hopefully you have answered your own question. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Yeah. And I think the problem is because every time I talk to somebody, I try to solve their problem or their challenge. But then other people say, I don't have that exact same problem or challenge and they can't figure it out. So what we want to do is be able to solve problems in a broader sense so that it's easier to map for people because people are going to say well i don't draw like anthony i'm screwed Mm -hmm. so they they basically will tune out out of the rest of this conversation which Mm -hmm. is a shame but i also have to realize not everybody can can see through that stuff and map what's important to them and i know this because every time i do a role play and i ask my audience what'd you learn they stare back at me like "Uh, i don't know or they'll only pull apart two things Versus the four or six or eight things that they need to know from that uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. So then I have to go and say, okay, look, here are the six other things that you need to consider and write these things down. Like, oh, okay. Can I draw a parallel here? Of course. So I play a game called Go. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, of course. Uh, and when you start playing Go, when you're learning, you play on a small version of the board. Uh, like nine by nine by nine grid. And you you play and you have usually if you're playing with somebody strong, you have a big uh, handicap and 
you will lose initially, even though you have this big handicap because you can't see. It's like you you see the board, the same board that they see, but you don't see like the, the second move and the third move and how things are going to resolve themselves. Whereas the, the person who's been playing a while, they they can tell like, oh, that's dangerous or that's a good move or that's a bad move. And they can anticipate these things and they, they learn to see. Whereas maybe when you're first starting off, you you have some kind of weird tunnel vision and you you can't relax enough to see like the bigger picture and then as you improve then the board gets bigger until you're on the full size board and you'll when you see people who are really good at playing you can when they make the move you can see that it's a good move but if you had been tasked with making a move that good you wouldn't have been able to see it it's not until it's shown to you and mm-hmm. sometimes even explain to you because even sometimes you see a really good move and you don't know what its significance is until somebody much better than you can break it down. So you're like a go master. Fantastic. I love that description. But also you helped me understand something else for a talk I have to do. So thank you for that. <laughs> you're welcome. Because, you know, I use everything in every conversation to fold back into the next conversation. So it's upcycling to its best. Wonderful. All right. So how was that for you, man? So I've listened to you talk a, a lot and, you know, I, I just receive a lot of information and and you've experienced this, too, where, where you are on the call and you say stuff and then you're greeted by silence afterwards while the rest of us are just processing what you had to say. We really like we're trying to figure it out and we're kind of having our own little epiphanies. And so we're just dumbstruck a little bit versus when we have a call with with like uh, Matthew or Ben and there's a lot more engagement and people are just mm-hmm. talking about stuff um, because then it feels more like a discussion. So I think for me, it's it's kind of being able to process what you say a little bit faster, but mostly instead of like getting lost in my own thoughts when you say something is to just say those questions that I'm kind of trying to work out internally, but instead of just working them out in my own head, throw them back at you and Mm -hmm. say, I'm struggling with this. This is, I don't understand, or please explain this a little bit better. Yeah. So I think, okay. So I have some tips for, for you and perhaps everybody else that's listening here is you're right. And I experienced this quite a bit. And, and I think only recently have I gotten enough feedback where I understand the phenomenon, right? I'll say something and the room is dead silent, whether it's on the call or it's in person. And I was like, shoot, maybe I'm just not making any sense to anybody. But what's happening is there's that processing time. But I also feel that a lot of people are not fully there. Like they're not 100% present. They haven't emptied their mind before they began the conversation. So they're still fighting against an internal belief, an idea, or something else. Or maybe they're just thinking about what sandwich to eat for lunch. So when the information is coming in, there's no room for it to fit. There's that expression like you can't fill a glass that's already full. So you Mm. have to empty things out. You have to empty out all that stuff and show up empty. And that way, whatever is being poured in, you can just let it sit there. So the other thing that I notice people do is they fight what is being said at the beginning. They're resistant, like prove it to me. That'll never work. What evidence do you have of that? 
well, that's not going to work on my case. So they have that kind of very cynical, it's never going to work. So we have to also strip away that attitude. So the more empty that you can arrive in a situation, and this is broadly applicable to just about everything. If you can have a conversation with your wife, your son, a new client, a boss, a friend, it's better that you you just take a minute and clear your mind. Now, luckily for me, I can do that without meditation. I don't have to sit there and read some kind of mindfulness chant or prayer or whatever it is. I can just show up and like, okay, I'm ready. Let's do it. Rock and roll. So there's that part. And lastly, is this part about being transparent to what's going on, to have a level of self-awareness so that if you're confused, say, I don't know how to react to this even because I'm stuck on part two of 17 points. And it takes me back to my childhood memory of X, Y, and Z. Oh, fantastic. Let's talk about that. I think for men especially, and some women, there's this thing that we can't be vulnerable. We can't say we don't know because we've been taught in our culture, in our society, that people don't know we're weak and shouldn't be taken seriously. So therefore, we won't admit those kinds of things. And Anything that resembles like, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, is emasculating. That's why men don't say that. And then the conversation can't continue. The learning can't continue. So in our conversations in the future, I would love for you to be like, you know what, Chris, that's fantastic, but here's what I'm really afraid of. Or when you said this, I thought that, but I think you mean something else. Can you help me out? We have to strip away that sense that if you say I don't know, that's a bad thing. Are you twirling a pencil, by the way? I was writing. Oh, you're writing. Are you doing your sketch notes right now? <laughs> well, right now I've got a uh, I've got a table full of post-it notes, and I've just been writing furiously. Okay, does that help you listen? Uh, yes. Okay, fantastic. So this could have been an episode. This could have been a two-part episode: the podcast and sketch note version. If you were filming with a down shooter. Ah, uh, see. Well, you right? know what? This is something we should address. We will. Yes. So what you want to do is set up your lights so that there's no hard shadows when you draw. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing it on post-it notes so that it's something visible, have bigger sheets of paper and draw. That's a great idea. Or do you use Procreate? You do, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, you could draw on that too because then it becomes an animation automatically for you. Yeah, I love Procreate. I mean, think about the kinds of micro content you can produce on an insane level. So we want to strip it all down. So forget that I said the whole lights and and camera. That's just even more work. I want to remove all the layers of resistance, right? Mm -hmm. So that you can just get right to it. So if you had Procreate open and you're just drawing and taking, and then you can export those as movies. And as soon as we're done, you can just load them up on YouTube, tweet about it, show it up on Instagram stories, jam it on Facebook. So on Facebook and Instagram, maybe it's a static image. And then in a, in a call, you might have eight videos. That's very cool. I like that. So this is what we talk about in terms of stacking things up, right? So you can't buy more time. You just can't. Not possible. However, when you're doing one task, it can be multiplied. So it has that effect of you buying more time. Right? So you're exchanging time right now to, to have a conversation with me. But in that time, you could be making content. Mm. So now you've essentially doubled your time for that during those moments. 
right? So what I do a lot is it's just kind of a time hack here is we were just talking about this, like, oh, everybody needs to unwind after work. I get it. You need to be in a vegetative state sometimes and that's healthy probably. So for me, I like to watch CNN or just leave some program on in the background, like The Walking Dead or something like that. But while I'm doing that, I'm sitting there scanning my my feeds with a notebook next to me in case an idea pops up, a question that somebody has so that I'm doing as much as I can in the time that I have. That's how that's why people say like, God, you live an insane day and you get so much done is because I've learned how to time hack Hmm. and you can do it, too. So when we're talking, I'm already making notes for my lecture. Awesome. So I think once you master the art of being present listening being fully transparent and vulnerable then you could also now not have to concentrate as much because nothing was there to bother you right mm. so it's pretty interesting because I, I think our brains can work on much higher levels but we're distracted by things that are not important either emotions or thoughts that are not helpful in the moment so once we get rid of that you realize oh my gosh when i was try- barely treading water before to kind of be here for the for the conversation or the person now i realize i have so much extra capacity so much more bandwidth because i wasn't focused on all that junk now i can listen respond take notes and oh respond to a tweet it can happen okay i I think now is the time to wrap up (laughs) okay so we'll continue our conversations this is an ongoing series and and I think every time we have our conversation, I think we're going to do a deeper dive. I hope for everybody that's listening that you enjoyed this conversation. Let us know on social media. Uh, I'm Chris Doe, This and that's Anthony Banks. Stay tuned for more. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.